Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Morning, church. Come on. How many's glad to be at church on a Sunday? Are you glad about it? Well, look at your neighbor. Just tell him you look so good right now. I can't just hardly keep my hands off of you, except for all under quarantine or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Well, good to see you this morning. And uh, so honored to share uh, Pastor Chad's pulpit and his stage. I never take this lightly. Excited about what God's going to do today. And uh, yeah, grab your Bibles, John chapter 15. If you got your Bibles, grab those, John chapter 15. If you're looking on your iPhone or whatever, you might switch over to the message translation. Uh, that's primarily what I'll be reading out of. And uh, we're just going to continue today in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. For all of you that are fasting, keep going, man. Breakthrough is coming. Your pastors, your leaders are proud of you. Keep up with it. Keep your commitment. If you mess up and eat a cheeseburger, just pick it right back up and keep going, man. God wants you to finish strong, and so we want to encourage you with that. Breakthrough is coming. All right, John chapter 15, verse 4. If you're taking notes today, we're going to kind of dive more into prayer than fasting, and we're going to look at two, kind of a two parts to this idea of prayer. The ought to and the how to. The ought to and the how to. John chapter 15, verse 4. Here we go. Abide in me. This is Jesus talking. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, what's that next word? Abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you picking up on a theme in these few verses from Jesus? He's calling us to abide in him. Can we pray one more time and then we'll talk for a little bit this morning. God, we, we're so grateful for these moments. And so we're trusting, believing, and asking now, Holy Spirit, to release passion for Jesus. We don't want to just hear a message, God. We want to leave a little bit closer to you. We want to leave a little bit more in love with Jesus. And you're the one that bears that kind of fruit. And so we ask you to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Happy New Year to you. We made it. The year 2021 is here, ready or not, right? How many uh, New Year's resolution people do we have? Just let me see your hands. Anybody? Nobody does that anymore. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, if you did do it, the one or two, it's, it's a good thing, right? It's kind of like that clean slate. You turn over the page into a new chapter, or a new year, fresh start, right? And then we drive by McDonald's, and they're selling two Big Macs for two bucks. The devil is a liar. So, you know, like many people, well, I thought many people, maybe it's just me, I decided 2021, I do this every year, I'm going to take my life back. I declare war. I wage war in 2021 on the dad bod. Where's all the dads in the house? Come on, represent the dad bod, loud and proud. Which would also be translated CrossFit. CrossFit, right? Now. If you're not familiar with CrossFit, it's basically an hour where everything's on fire and you're in hell. <laughs> when you sign up for CrossFit, you get this, uh, you get this kind of this group trainer to go along with your membership. 
and he walks you through the motions, you know, they show you how to use the equipment, and they help you set your goals. Like, goals? My goal is not to work out, right? So the trainer, he walks me over, and he wants to introduce me to this certain piece of equipment. It's called the assault bike, okay? <laughs> what? Can you just point me to a machine that's close to a TV? Because I'm here to watch Dog the Bounty Hunter while I pretend to work out, so I feel better about myself. The assault bike? Are you serious? It's so painful. If you know anything about it, your arms are moving, your legs are pumping, there's resistance working against you. It's like you, you ran the Boston Marathon, and then you went and climbed Everest all in one fail swoop. But then when you look down at the calorie counter, it's like you've only burned 50 calories, okay? <laughs> like what, 50 calories? Are you kidding? That's like smelling a Big Mac. Why don't you just look at your neighbor and ask him this quick question here. Ask him, do you want McDonald's fries or CrossFit thighs? Come on, ask him. Ask him. You want McDonald's fries or CrossFit thighs? Because you can't have both. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take some discipline to become the person God has designed for you and me to be. It's actually the journey that our pastors called us on as a church as we move into this new year. The year of transformation. Wow. The year where we are collectively giving God the green light to mold, shape, stretch, transform, and change us. We want to encounter God, church, at the heart level. And to begin to see with our inner eyes the beauty that is our God. To break out of the religious complexity of the age, that mechanical type of Christianity that our human tendency naturally tends to navigate towards that's filled with programs and methods and organization and nervous activity. It occupies our time and our attention, but it leaves our souls wanting more. It's a call to discipleship. The call to discipleship is the call to change. Oh, that word hurts, doesn't it? But it's the one we're following. He's called us into a life of discipleship. The call to change. You want McDonald's fries or CrossFit thighs because you can't have both. It's going to take some discipline for you and I to become the people that God has designed for us to be. Jesus says it like this, John 15, we just read it. I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's the person that's going to do what? Bear a lot of fruit, right? Talk about an absolute. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoa, right? Jesus is not offering an opinion here. How many knows that Jesus never offered opinions, actually? He never guessed. He knew and he knows. The words that Jesus gives to us, it's not like Solomon's words, which are the sum of like sound wisdom and keen observation. When Jesus speaks, his words are very truth itself. Wow. Apart from me. You can't do anything. You can do nothing. In other words, we are absolutely, church, unable to walk in the fullness 
of our destiny in God outside of what Jesus calls right here, abiding in him. It's impossible. Unless we abide in him, we can do nothing related to bearing fruit or growing in spiritual maturity. In our greatest strength and on our best day, we will never carry the capacity to generate that kind of spiritual life for ourselves. There's no shortcuts. There's no opt-outs. This fruit is only produced one way. And it's when we become intentional and consistent to abide in Christ. So it begs the all-important question, right? How, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And how do I do that? What is it and how do I do it? Because if we don't do this, church, the year of transformation is dead in the water. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So here we go. How do we do this? What is it? How do we do it? You're taking notes. The core activity to abiding in God is talking to God. It's at the core. There's other parts to it, but the core, the beating heart of abiding in God is talking to God. As a matter of fact, the more you talk to God, the more you grow in your walk with God. Right? We could say that verse in John 15 like this. If you'll talk to me and I'll talk to you, you'll bear a whole bunch of fruit. Right? Abide in me. Interact with me. Stay connected to me. Be intentional about it and do it often and you will begin to mature in your walk with God. It's not a complicated equation. If you don't do this, you will not. As a matter of fact, you cannot become who God's created you to be. The reality is that we, the people of God, we will never grow to a place in our walk, our faith walk, that we don't go to in prayer first. Right? God is coming after our hearts. He's coming after our hearts, and he's, he's using the... The, the, the dynamics of the culture and the climate of the age to create this optimum environment to wake up the church. He's calling us, the bride of Christ, out of the shallow waters of surface-level relationship with God where we go to church once a week, and that's about it. And he's bringing us into the deep places of interaction and communion with his heart. Love longs to communicate it's the single greatest vehicle to deep and meaningful relationship, right? Communication. Simple conversation with God. If there isn't some kind of measure of meaningful communication, then there cannot be any kind of measure of meaningful relationship. Right? Abide in me, and I in you, and you'll bear a whole bunch of fruit. If we do this, our lives will produce the spiritual fruit that they're intended to produce. So, again, let me divide this subject up. Two parts. The first part of prayer, the ought to. Second part of prayer, the how to. Can I teach just for a little bit this morning? Is that okay? You guys all right? All right, here we go. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Maybe one of the most profound passages on the subject of prayer in the Bible. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Here we go. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
When he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us how to pray. This is powerful because, in essence, his disciples are asking God how to talk to God. Teach us how to pray. And as John taught his disciples, so here was Jesus' response to the question, teach us how to pray. First three words, come on all together. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, come on all together, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sounds like a Catholic church out there this morning. <laughs> Love our Catholic brothers and sisters. Part one, the ought to. Quick story here. Can I just give you a little quick story here? I remember when uh, Brooke and I, uh, it, we were new parents, right? So it was just me, Brooke, and our, our now oldest son, Elijah. So setting behind the story, Elijah's less than a year old at this time, and all the seasoned parents can remember what it's like with your first kid, right? You're Lysol and everything, you know, you're super cautious. It's all uncharted territory, right? So we've always done our best, sometimes better, sometimes worse, uh, at trying to model to our kids the value of prayer, even from the time that they were young. And uh, so one night, I'm trying to be the, do the good dad thing, be a good dad, and so I grab Elijah my firstborn child, into my arms, the hallmark moment, and on all the things. It's beautiful, right? Come here, my child. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, so I sit Elijah on my lap, you know, and close my eyes, and I start to say a simple prayer because I want my son to grow up seeing Dad pray, right? So after a minute or whatever goes by, I can tell my 10-month-old, he's locked into the moment, right? He's watching Dad. He's looking up at me. So, like, pause story for a second, interject, important point. Uh, Elijah's nine or ten months old, right? So all the parents who've had babies know what babies' fingernails are like, right? Okay. <laughs> They're not fingernails at this point in their lives. They're like little mini razor blades. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, unpause. So I'm praying. Good dad moment, new parent, all the things. I just know my 10-month-old son is about to encounter God like never before for the first time in his entire life. But apparently, I was wrong. Dead wrong. Okay? Jesus was not on Elijah's radar at this moment when as my eyes are closed like a flash of lightning, Elijah reaches up with his little tiny eagle talons and just snatches my septum. You know that spot in between the nose? And he just bears down with his unusually strong baby grip. Prayer is officially over at this point. I'm not lying. It's a solid eight on the pain scale, okay? I let out the scream of a 14-year-old boy going through puberty. My reflexes kick into ninja mode, and I toss my newborn son <laughs> under the nearest pile of pillows. He landed gently. I'm screaming. Elijah's screaming, and prayer is over. <laughs> Not exactly the picture-perfect ending to my prayer time that I had in mind. When you come before God in prayer, when, not if, right? And I think most believers, 
no matter how old or young you are in the Lord, I think most believers understand that on some level. Like, they all, we all understand we need to pray, right? I mean, we all do. Even if you just got saved last week, you understand the need to pray. We all understand that we should pray. We all know, we understand the ought to. We ought to do this. But I wonder, and I don't know if this is verbalized, but I bet some people can relate to this. I wonder if in our, in a, in our sincere attempts to do what we know we ought to do as believers, oftentimes, if I'm being honest, I feel a little uneasy, unsure, and somewhat unsatisfied in my attempts to do what I know I ought to do. Right? Not exactly the picture-perfect ending to my prayer time that I had in mind. Right? We can all relate to that. It's like when I pray, you know, if I'm honest, like, uh, it kind of feels like a chore. Uh, a somewhat boring and burdensome chore. And I endure it because I do love God. And I, I do understand the ought to. And I don't necessarily verbalize this, but I, I would be willing to say many of us feel like that internally on some level, right? Where prayer is this duty that I do out of Christian obligation rather than the delight I do out of celebration, right? So we find a really helpful passage of Scripture. It's actually in context an end-time promise. I, the book of Isaiah, check this out, Isaiah 56, verse 7. Watch this. We got that on the board. Okay. No, we don't. Isaiah 56, verse 7. You might jot that down and read it on your own time. Basically, in essence, says this. God will make his people joyful in his house of prayer. God will make his people joyful in his house of prayer. Or in other words... God's design for prayer is for us to have enjoyable prayer. Enjoyable prayer, which, by the way, is the only kind of prayer that is sustainable. Right? It's a really big deal because if we don't have some measure of enjoyment in it, we will not stay with it for the long haul. We may engage in prayer sporadically out of duty, but we only engage in prayer consistently out of delight. And I'm not saying you have to enjoy every moment of every time, but there's got to be a measure of enjoyment in it, or we just won't do it, right? For the most part, the believers understand the ought to when it comes to prayer. But I think we might be lacking in the how to when it comes to prayer. God's desire and design for prayer is for us to be joyful, where our communion with God, and it's not like joyful like giddy, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's that movie? Hercules. Like, that's what we think of when we think of joy. No, 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 no. The joy God's talking about is this deep sense of well-being that everything's well and God's smiling. That's the joy, right? And it touches us at a heart level and it moves us out of an obligation and into a celebration. So how do I do that? Because sign me up for that. How do I do that? Well, Glad you asked. The man with the greatest prayer life in history happens to have something to say about it. The man who knew the most about the Father is asked an incredible question. How do I pray? And here's his answer. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, 
your name is holy. Now, for the sake of time, I can't get into this whole thing, but here's my encouragement and challenge to us as we finish out 21 days. Stay right there. Stay right there in the Lord's Prayer. Read it, pray through it, study it, read it, pray through it, study it, okay? But I do want to give you a jumping off point, okay? And I want to give you this first point, which happens to be our Father who art in heaven. It's the first thing in the list for a reason. This is the foundation of our approach to the kind of prayer that God intends for us to engage in. And if we get this first thing, it changes everything, okay? It's why Jesus put it first in his teaching. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I love how the message translation puts it. Father, reveal who you are. Whoa. Reveal who you are. When you pray, pray like this. First and foremost, the foundation from which all of our meaningful and joyful communion with God should be built upon. God, Father, God, give us a revelation of who you are. Father, reveal who you are. Jesus modeled this idea from the time he was a wee little boy. Check this out. Luke chapter 2, and I'm flying here. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, he had no public ministry. He was just a boy. And he begins to model this idea to us. 12 years old. He went up, as they always did to the feast. When it was over, and the, him and his parents left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day, and they began to look for him. Jesus' parents began to look for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. Verse 46. Anybody ever lost a kid before? Don't admit it. Okay, here we go. Verse 46. The next day they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were taken by Jesus, impressed by his sharpness and his answers, but his parents were not impressed. <laughs> his mother said, what in the world is wrong with you, boy? Don't you know we've been looking for you? And here was Jesus' response. What were you thinking? And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Wow. Talk about a bad day. Mom and dad lost God. Parents fail of the century. Should make all of us feel better about ourselves. But what I love about this story uh, is that when Mary and Joseph begin to question their little nugget, they grill him about, why are you going to leave us hanging, Jesus? Where were you? He says something that's very profound, foundational to this idea uh, when it comes to communion with God. Why were you looking for me? And Jesus said, oh, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Now, a little bit of teaching, and I promise I'm moving. Bible wasn't originally written in English. We all understand that, right? Okay? It was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. So somebody has to come along and translate the original Greek words of the Bible into English words so we can enjoy the Bible without having to learn Greek and Hebrew. We should thank Jesus every day for that guy, okay? But what's interesting... Are you guys following me? Just teach it today. Okay. Interesting is that when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, the original Greek language of that same verse is translated just a little bit different. It's translated like this. And Jesus answered his parents, why were you looking for me? Don't you know that I must be about my father? Hmm. Don't you know that I must be about my father? 
So, so human tendency 101 at its finest here, right? What Jesus originally intends to be a lesson on how to be with God, we want to turn around and turn it into a lesson on how to do something for God, right? Don't you know I must be about my father, right? And then we want to come along and add the word business to the end of it because that's what we do, right? When you pray, pray like this, Father, reveal who you are. There is nothing, church, that will energize your prayer life and give you the grace to continue growing in your walk with God, like building your time with God on the foundation of just being with God. Novel idea, right? God has created us to see him and live in him and draw our life from his smile we will never tap into enjoyable prayer if we don't do this first. We have to start at the foundation. Seems simple, right? It seems simple, but what, what subtly happens uh, is we're trying, is at, we're, doing, we're doing the best we can as the followers of Jesus, but I think what happens is we, we, we try to be loyal to a principle, and we try to love an ideal, and we miss the person. It's easy. We've all done it. Yes, we pray. But in our praying, I wonder how many times we actually miss the prize. Right? Did we pray right past the prize? We got our whole prayer list prayed out, but we missed the best part. Father, just reveal who you are. I just want to know you. I just want to be with you. I just want to fellowship with you. I just want to be in your presence. A theologian the 1900s, A.W. Tozer, he said it like this. This is pointed. Check this out. Prayer is always in danger of degenerating into a glorified gold rush. How to get things from God occupies most of our time. Wow. And I'm guilty of this. Approaching God more for me rather than just approaching God for God. Right? Wanting something from him more than just wanting him. And, and believe me, I love blessing on my external circumstances. I love when God moves and works and does stuff in my life. But more than any of that, I just, I just want him. I just want to be with him. It seems so natural when we go to prayer and when we do Christian disciplines. You know, those disciplines, those things that wouldn't make any sense if we didn't believe it was in God in the first place. I think most of it centers around doing. It's so natural to fall to doing, to doing. And it's almost like we feel guilty as Christians if we aren't doing something, like we're wasting our time. We're not doing anything. It feels, feels like if we aren't doing anything, we're, maybe we're not getting anywhere. But, but God sees us different. His kingdom works differently than our kingdom. In God's kingdom, lovers always get more work done than workers. Yeah. So I want to challenge you as we close. Uh, the next time you go to prayer, take the first part, however long that time is. Again, we, sh we should be having ongoing co com communication with God through the day. But there's also got to be that time that's consecrated and set apart. And it's just nothing else but him. If we don't have that, the ongoing conversation through the day is really hard. But if we take some time and we carve it out, whatever time that is, that internal dialogue flows much, much easier. Take the first time, the first part, however long, and just be with God without doing anything. 
let me just give you permission, right? Just let God be enough for a moment. Put away your prayer lists and your needs and your worries and the things you got to ask God and all this stuff and just take some time and just let him be enough. Just be with God. Be intentional to shift your focus on who God is and what God's like. Meditate on his character and his nature and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the perfect Father, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's abounding in goodness and he's right here with us right now. He's for us. He's not against us. And if you get caught up in that, I promise your prayer time will change. Little by little by little, it'll begin to move out of duty, and you'll begin to sense the presence and the smile of God. It's okay not to do something. Stop rushing. Stop striving. Stop straining. Stop performing. And just let yourself go to enjoy God. It's actually what prayer is all about anyways. Check this out, Matthew 6, 6. Do we have that verse? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can. The focus will shift from you the prize and you'll begin to sense his grace as I close this morning Revelation chapter 4 yeah. why don't you stand with me let's you stretch out for a minute thank you God thank you Lord so in the book of Revelation among other books Daniel and some other places we get little snapshots uh, into what's going on in heaven, little glimpses. In other words, what, what has our God decided that he wants to surround himself with at all times? Okay? God's got a clean slate. He's the creator. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, make it look however he wants. And he's like, you know what? I think what I want around me is four living creatures that will fly around my throne at all times. And you know what? The Bible says, you know, you know what? God's thinking, I want them to be full of eyes around and within. You know what? And day and night, they're never going to stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a little strange, right? It's like Pink Floyd the Wall. God can do whatever he wants. And he's like, I'm going to put some creatures that have eyeballs everywhere. And they're going to sing one song. These creatures, they're in one room with one guy saying one sentence forever. Right? And the crazy thing is you never see them ever ask for another job. Hey, God, we've been saying holy, holy, holy for about a few thousand years now. Is there any way we could get a break or maybe a new song? You got a second string you could send in? You don't see it. We find them consistent and content with their place before God. How is that even possible? 
Day and night they never cease. How is that even possible? Because God is trying to teach us a lesson that if we'll just look at him, he's more than enough to satisfy us and to sustain us for all of eternity. Just look at me. Just look at me. The creatures are full of eyes because no matter where they're at in their rotation around the throne, they always have an eye on the one who sustains their song. If you're dry and weary and burned out in your prayer life, you got to get your eyes off of you and onto him. That's it. And you'll begin to shift out of an obligation and into a celebration. Can we pray? Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.